I'm always asked for tips for traveling with kids, advice to make family travel easier. There are a lot of little things we do, like booking early flights, using packing cubes, and redeeming miles to upgrade as often as possible. But there's one big thing we do, and it's my number one tip for traveling families. We make travel all about the kids. To me, this is obvious. When a trip is designed around the kids, they're gonna be happier, we, the parents, will be happier, and the trip will be more successful, even when things don't go perfectly. But I frequently see people doing the opposite. So how exactly do we make travel all about our kids? Number one, we, our kids choose our destinations. I've always let my kids choose where we go on our annual one-on-one -on -one trips, but for our family trips, we do the same. Every January, we sketch out travel for the year, and we all vote, based on their personal interests, of course. Number two, we book kid-friendly activities. Choose activities based on your kid's age and interests, and search out kid-friendly tours. We've done scavenger hunts and walking tours throughout Europe that were specifically designed for kids. And when we've booked more adventurous trips, like African safaris or hiking in Patagonia, we've made sure we had our own guides and weren't locked into group tours or schedules. Three, we skip three-hour meals. Nothing is worse than choosing the wrong restaurant and finding that you're locked into a very long meal with very slow service. Those Michelin-starred restaurants that serve celery foam can wait until our kids are off to college. We look for more casual restaurants, even including picnics, and always include places that have small, non-touristy menus. Four, we have downtime. Kids can't keep up an adult pace. Stop frequently at parks and playgrounds. Come back to the hotel room after lunch and relax. Break up the day a little. And five, we're flexible. Ice cream at 10 a.m.? Sure. Changing up the vacation midway? Why not? You never know when you book a trip whether you'll have rain every day or a record-setting heat wave. Or maybe you booked too long a stay somewhere. Don't be afraid to change your plans. Welcome to the Roaming the Earth podcast. I am your host, Drea Castro, and today I am here with Eric Stowen. Eric is a travel writer and photographer based in California. He's lived in Italy, Norway, Germany, and the U.S., and traveled to 97 countries on seven continents. Eric is passionate about the benefits of family travel and lets each of his three kids, 11, 13, and 15 years old, choose any destination in the world every year for a one-on-one -on -one trip with him. They also travel as a family during school breaks. His kids have been to over 60 countries. Eric is an accomplished photographer, winning Condé Nast's Traveler's Photo of the Year Award. He's an ambassador for Afar Magazine, and his writing and photography have been featured by Condé Nast Traveler, Bon Appetit, Yahoo Travel, and Lonely Planet. He is a two-time Natcha Gold Award winner for family travel writing. Forbes has named him the world's number four most influential traveler, and Fodor has called him the world's best family traveler. Thank you so much for being here, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you because you have quite an adventurous life. So you travel with your kids to all these exotic and difficult destinations. Most people don't even like to do that on their own. How do you, how do you do it? <laughs> we just, we don't not do it. We, we simply, we started when our kids were young like just after birth, we thought, okay, you know, I love to travel. My wife loves to travel. We had both studied abroad in college. We both grew up with our families kind of traveling and seeing other cultures. And we just kept going. Like, you know, when you have a small child or a toddler or whatever, 
you're a parent and it doesn't matter if you're a parent here in California or in Italy or Argentina or whatever, like you're going to be kind of parenting, but you could be doing it more interesting places and getting your kids some different sights and different smells and different experiences and different things that will uh, kind of just soak into their consciousness and, and maybe change them a little bit. But at the very least, you're where you want to be in the world. And we never saw any reason not to travel with our kids. I love that you do one-on-one trips with them every year. That is so cool. First of all, I want to be your kid. Can you adopt me? <laughs> I get that question a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's like the coolest thing I've never heard of. A, well, I've heard of parents traveling with their kids, but I've never heard of like the kids choosing in the beginning of the year, where do you want to go? And it kind of forces them to look at the world differently and see what they want to explore, right? Like I just, that is amazing. Yeah, early on, my daughter was almost four, and I asked her where she wanted to go in the world, and she said Australia based on a Wonder Pets cartoon episode that she had seen. And I asked my wife if it was okay to take her to Australia, because I kind of wanted to travel, and we had, you know, a one or two-year-old or whatever at the time as well. And she's like, sure, go off. And so my daughter and I, right when she turned four, headed off to Australia for a week, and it was so fun. Like, I loved the bonding. I loved that it was just the two of us without my wife there, without our son there or whatever. So she didn't have any sibling stuff going on. And we just, it was, it was so much fun. It was just, it was different than traveling as a full family. And I kept going. And so every year I would ask her, where do you want to go this year? And we would go. And then when my son was four, I was like, heck, where do you want to go this year? And then when my third child was four, I was like, where do you want to go? And I just kept it going. And, and yeah, they can choose anywhere as long as it's not on our, our family travel list, you know, in the immediate future, or if it's a war zone or something. But yeah, I mean, inspiration comes from anywhere. It could come from school, YouTube, social media, cartoons, whatever. And, and it was really fun. And it got me to some places like Antarctica and Easter Island that, yeah, were maybe on my someday list, but nothing that I had prioritized. And, and it was so cool going. Like, like, it was really fun every year to see what they were going to pick and what we would wind up doing when we got there because the kids were kind of in charge of it. And that goes back to the excerpt that I read at the beginning that, you know, their kids are always in charge. Otherwise you're not going to have a fun trip. And so, yeah. So I always let them choose the activities. I might suggest maybe a layover destination if, if there are five different ways to get to Singapore or whatever. And it's like, we could add something on for a couple of days and, and they would get something unexpected and cool out of it. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's all them, the, the, the destination selection and the activity selection and everything else. Wow. Wait. So one of your kids chose... Easter Island and Antarctica? Yeah, my first daughter, actually, she asked to go to Antarctica when she was three because she was studying penguins in pre-K and she thought, I want to go and see the penguins in Antarctica. And so that's what started the whole thing, actually. She came home and said, can we go to Antarctica? And I was like, okay, sure, I want to go to Antarctica. So I literally picked up the phone and called National Geographic and I was like, okay, we're interested in Antarctica you know, what's a good age? And they're like, eight, eight is a good minimum age for Antarctica. Um, kids can entertain themselves on the ship because you're on the ship a lot. Um, they can kind of appreciate where they are in the world. They, they can get something out of the educational lectures. Um, I think that they had a few more points too. And I thought, okay, that totally makes sense. So I said, we could go when she was eight, but, but you know, that was a long ways away because she was only three. And that's when I said, oh, where, where else do you want to go? And, and she chose Australia. Yeah, and then my son was six and chose Easter Island. <laughs> I think he had some kids national geographic book, like on the, the coolest, like unusual places in the world. And the Moai from Easter Island even might've been on the cover of it. 
but he's like, I'm going to go see that. I was like, sweet. So I pulled him out of kindergarten for a week because kindergarten doesn't really matter. And his teacher was totally supportive. And we stopped in Panama for one night just to see the Panama Canal. Cause I was like, heck, I've never seen the Panama Canal. Um, and so we, we stopped and, and saw ships going through the Panama Canal and everything. And then just got back on another plane, flew to Santiago, Chile, spent like a day or two there and then flew over to Easter Island. And it, it's similar to Hawaii. It's like five hours off the coast, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Cool. Like just such a cool Polynesian vibe. It's like, it's like New Zealand meets Hawaii meets Tahiti because it, it's in that same area. And you only think of the Moai, but, and the, the statues were really cool, but it, it was, we just had fun. Just, just me and my six-year-old roaming around this Island and walking. We had a little B&B right outside of town, like five minute walk. And so we would walk into town and just find little outdoor cafes to eat at. And yeah, it was just, it was the coolest adventure. And like all of these are adventures because like, it's just the two of us, whichever kid it is and me, and we're somewhere in the world exploring on our own and finding things. And even if I had been to Hong Kong half a dozen times, when I took my daughter the first time, it's like, this is totally new. Like, like I don't know Hong Kong from a kid's perspective. So let's find the coolest kid friendly things to do in Hong Kong. And, and maybe that's some of the things I had done before. Maybe it's not. I want to get adopted by you. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh my God. First of all, your kids are amazing. Just the fact that they knew about Easter Island. I mean, I'm, we're growing up, I'm growing up at a, you know, I grew up in a different generation and they're totally growing up now where there's so much access to the world. Right. But like, I just can't imagine being below 10 years old and going, I want to go to Easter Island. Like I didn't know about Easter Island until I was an adult, you know, that wasn't like, well, a no, when I was a kid, yeah, you had time life books. Maybe you had a set of encyclopedias at home and, and yeah, I mean, well before the internet. And so everything was exotic, but you know, someplace like Easter Island would have been so exotic. You probably wouldn't have even seen it anywhere or whatever, because France and the Eiffel Tower were exotic like that. That's what you would see. Right. <laughs> TV or whatever. So yeah, no, it's so much fun. And like, I found that in eighth grade, my kids had to, as, as part of their normal schooling, like label every single country in the world and they did it by continent or whatever. And it was so easy for my kids because they had been to, you know, 60 something places. So yeah, maybe that you need to learn like the former Soviet republics or whatever, but you know, for South America or whatever, they just, they knew where they had been or they had watched flight maps as we were flying over different places. And so I think, I think they definitely had an advantage because it was just, yeah, it was easy. That is so amazing. Just the fact that they're going to grow, they're going to enter into this world as an adult. So knowledgeable and so empathetic and so smart about, you know, people. And I think a lot of times we don't really get to travel until we're adults and we, we learn that later on, but your kids are just, they're so much more ready for how crazy the world is and how amazing it is. So that's, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, no, that's uh, really well said. Now we really want them to get that empathy and, and that knowledge of cultures and, and, um, and they've gained skills. Like we did this one drawing class in London years ago and it happened and we did it through context travel but our guide was this illustrator for the New Yorker and, and, and for like financial times, like he had this amazing resume and he would tell us about like in the old days, having to rush to the airport to get his stuff onto the Concorde to get it overnighted to, or like in New York in five hours. And that was the fastest way to do it so that they could publish his stuff. And, and 
So he taught our kids how to shade, like all the way through the British Museum, we would just stop and he would teach them shading. And they were pretty small at that point. I don't know what this was six, seven years ago. And my son especially just grabbed onto it and came home and just kept sketching and, and shading. And he's this amazing artist right now. And I think it was all prompted literally by that like three hour walking tour through London. Uh, we started a few different museums, but it was mainly the British Museum. Um, I think it was the British Museum. Um, but yeah, so, so in addition to the empathy uh, and the, the cultures, the skills, like, like being able to read a European train schedule or whatever, you know, on the tracks. <laughs> But, but it's, it's, they've actually gotten some things out of it that, that will probably change their lives as far as what they love doing and, and what they're really good at. 100%. I mean, think about it. Every time I go travel to a country or any place in the world, it completely changes me. Mm-hmm. It totally makes an impact on me. And they've gone to 60 countries. So that's yeah. like, and, and, and When people say, okay, how are your kids different? It's like what you just said. Every single country, every experience shaped them and altered them. And I, I, we don't have an AB comparison. I don't know what they would have been like without all of these experiences, but they are who they are because all of that is consolidated in them and it, it, it's tastes. And, and every night in our house, we have Moroccan night or Greek night or Afghani night or even places we haven't been. Like, we'll just, we'll explore the food when we travel. I'm in over for Moroccan night. <laughs> Okay, so Morocco, we were actually disappointed a little bit in the cuisine when we went to Morocco because we make such great Moroccan here. And we went and the menus are so limited actually in Morocco. Like they, they have just the, these few different things that, that they eat and they don't really use all the same spices that we use. So we're like, hmm, okay. So we would have done a little bit more with that. And then, you know, and so it was really funny. Like, like Morocco is one that we did so much before we actually traveled there. And, and the food there disappointed us just slightly. So um, now that you mentioned it, but then there, there are so many others, whether it's in Prague, searching out the local specialties and, and then trying them at four different restaurants and going, okay, this is the best one. Can we get the recipe? Or what is that taste in there? Let's take, go home and like try to figure that out. And so like every night, it's Greek night, it's, it's, it's Japanese, whatever. And it's all based on all of these. So, so we're continuing that even if we're not traveling. Wow. We should do a documentary on you and your life, honestly. Like that's, that's incredible. How to raise your children. You know what I mean? And it's fun. That's the thing. We're not trying to do anything out of the ordinary. It's just fun. And I love travel and my wife loves travel. And, and so, yeah, it's just kind of, and, and we, they've always had normal school. So it's not like we're nomadic. We're not, we've taken, we took them out of school maybe for one week before one of their breaks just to go to Africa so that we could have two full weeks in Africa, but otherwise they missed virtually no school. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just, okay, we have a week vacation coming up. What should we go do? Nicaragua looks cool. What should we do when we go there? And so, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I, I'm, I, I'm like buzzing with just like, admiration because I don't have kids yet, you know, and that's like one of my things that I really, really want to do when I have kids one day. Like I want them to be travelers and I want them to be like cultured and and knowledgeable and empathetic and and understanding of the world and how amazing it can be. So there's no reason not to. Yeah. Just (laughs) if you like to travel, just keep traveling. Can you talk about that excerpt in the beginning? That was like Great advice. Can you talk about that and what you wrote that for and, and a little background? Most of the things on my blog are reviews of our travel. Like I'm a true travel blogger. I don't write about places we haven't gone. 
I'll simply go, okay, we went to Patagonia and it was really cool. And I want to inspire other families to take their kids to Patagonia all the way down to the southern tip of South America for a one week school break and, and show how we did it and show what our kids liked and what they didn't like, you know, and um, to hopefully guide other families. And my original um, inspiration was kind of seeing families at Disneyland, like really large families that, that I knew were probably spending $7,000, $10,000 for a week at Disneyland. And, and people can do whatever they want to with their money. That, that's fine. But I just, I wanted to walk up to them and go, have you heard of Costa Rica? Like you could spend half this much money and take your kids to Costa Rica and they would see real animals and real parrots and, and, and try these foods that, that might change them and, and, and things like that. And so that's literally why I started a blog, just because I wanted to inspire families. So that's most of my writing is very destination based stuff or I'll consolidate things and I'll go, okay, well, what are the 10 coolest outdoor places that we've been? I should make a blog post of just that in case a family loves hiking and wants to be inspired by 10 random places around the world that we've really liked. Um, during COVID, I asked our, our kids and my wife to rate every country we've been to one to 10 and every city we've been to one through 10. And then I ranked our top 20 and, and I counted down on Instagram, but then I did blog posts too. So all of that is purely inspirational, but then sometimes like I just take it for granted that I'll weave narratives through my posts. Like, okay, you know, if you go to France or whatever, if you go to Paris, make the trip about your kids. And I was having lunch in Santa Barbara with, with a travel friend um, who owned an Italian travel company. And she's like, you have to do a blog post with like your number one thing, because she's like, that is what families get wrong. She's like, you know, and, and it's true. Like so many families would write to me and say, okay, we had, you know, our trip to Hawaii wasn't great or whatever. And I kind of asked them why and, and, you know, delving into it, it's like, oh, they had too much driving and their kids don't like driving. Well, if your kids don't like driving, then when you go on vacation, don't drive. Like if your kids want to go to the beach, just stay at the beach. And if you go to France and, and your kids don't want to be in 10 different museums, don't take them to museums, just go to parks. And, and that may not be your idea of, of a French vacation or what you've dreamed of since you were a teenager, but go back and do that one later after the kids have left home. But this time, you know, make it about the kids. And so, so that came from, from that conversation in Santa Barbara, <clears throat> just trying to get families to reorient their thinking a little bit, I think, when planning vacations and only to look at things from their kids' perspectives. You, you might want to throw in a cultural thing here and there that they're not voting for or whatever. But otherwise, yeah, think about your kids and, and make them happy. That's a very good piece of advice and I'll definitely take that with me when I decide to have kids one day. <laughs> definitely. Um, I talked to, um, her name is Marquita, right? I interviewed her and she travels with her two twins and they're like, I think three or something. And she, she talks about that, you know, and I just admire you guys. Cause it, you know, a lot of parents just stop doing what they love and you've got, you definitely have intertwined your love and kind of passed it on to them. And now they're going to and take that along with them. Well, and it's been selfish too, because I love doing it. Like I, I love being somewhere with my kids, whether it's all three of them or just one where you totally do, you get to see someplace through their eyes. And, and honestly, I would rather do that than travel with a friend or, I mean, I love my wife, but even just when the two of us are together, like it's different, it's, it's more relaxed or whatever, but I love seeing what engages the kids. So, so that, that, that was probably unexpected at the beginning, but it's been really fun. Like it was great going to Antarctica with my daughter and watching her have snowball fights with other kids on the ship. 
and, and, you know, doing snow angels in Antarctica because these aren't things that adults go there and do. Like they're seeing it from a winter wonderland perspective. It's like there was a sledding hill that was mainly paths carved by penguins. And we asked our guides, we were like, can some of the kids, there weren't that many kids on our boat, but can the kids slide down? They're like, okay, yeah, use that path over there so that you're not bothering the penguins. And so she got a belly slide like a penguin in Antarctica. And like literally most of the adults aren't thinking like that. So yeah, it's just, it's fun. It's fun seeing, seeing the world through my kids' eyes. What does travel mean to you? It's, it's, it's those cultures, those, those moments, the, the breaking out of your comfort zone a little bit and, and going somewhere else in the world and, and meeting people and, and, you know, talking to the, like, if you're staying in an awesome, amazing five-star resort somewhere and you have like a butler person assigned to you, like that makes us awkward, but we'll totally use that as a resource and go, okay, where do you go for dinner locally yeah. at night with your family? Like, what is your favorite spot? Or what's the, what, you know, this dish that we just had at the hotel restaurant, like, how would you make that? Is that something, is that like a new little kitchen gadget that we need to buy here? Where would we do that? So, so, you know, even like I said, luxury trips turn into culture for us because that's what we love. We love the food elements. And in Jamaica, we, we went down and we were staying at this nice little resort. It wasn't super Jamaican. It was a nice spring break or whatever. And we got into a car and we asked them to take us to a market and they took us to this one that like tourists off cruise ships would go to with t-shirts and stuff. And we're like, no, no, no. Like we want to see where you would shop. He's like, but that's not very safe. We're like, that's what we want. I'm sure it's safe enough. And so we went and they barely like whatever money we were using, like they almost had a different currency that they would only use within this market or locals or whatever. And so it was almost difficult to buy things there, but we did anyways, like, like pans or spoons or whatever that we still use. And yeah, like no tourists, like we got so many looks being in there as tourists, but that's what we wanted. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that's travel to us. It, it's finding those places around the world and, and expanding your worldview. How did you come up with the name Travel Babo? Babo is Italian for dad. And it was that years ago, I won this photography contest through Conde Nast Traveler. Um, it was a $25,000 prize, which was really cool. Um, but it wasn't cash. It was a trip. And so they planned a $25,000 trip to Florence for us, which was one of my favorite cities, but we had never taken our kids because I didn't want it to be based on my memories, like of studying abroad there or whatever. I thought, okay, even, even when we rented a villa in Tuscany an hour away one summer, we never went to Florence. Cause I was like, this is unfair to them for me to be going through and saying, oh my gosh, I remember when this happened or whatever. So I challenged Connie Nass Traveler to come up with a totally kid-friendly trip that would make Florence their own. And they did. And so the first day in Florence, I think it was a 10 day trip or so, the first day in Florence, they set up pizza making for us and like oh. so we're in this little restaurant and, and they would toss me the dough across the kitchen and go bottle because I was the dad in the family. And then it, it continued through the trip where like people would just refer to me as Bobo because it's very tough. It's not all of Italy that uses Bobo as dad. Um, Santa Claus in Italian is Bobo Natale. So everyone kind of knows the word Bobo, um, but it's really kind of Tuscan and Emilia Romagna and, and a few different places. And so, um, so yeah, my kids kind of, and, and I encouraged it and I was like, oh, cool. I love that. I love it. And so my, my, I feel like I told a story too 
much early on that, oh, you know, my kids started calling me Bobo on their own and they call me out on that sometimes. And they're like, well, you kind of encouraged it too. Okay. Um, so, so I want to, I, I need to start changing that narrative a little bit and not make it seem like it was 100% natural, but I loved it because I love, I studied Italian in college. I love Italy. Um, and I loved being referred to as Babo. And so I was like, okay, you guys can just call me Babo. And, and it, it, it gradually became really natural where for eight years now or whatever, they, nobody's called me dad or daddy, or I don't, I wouldn't even respond if somebody said dad. Um, because I'm just Bobo. And so that was before I started, wow. <laughs> that was before I started a website um, or social media or anything like that. So when I quit a, my job in healthcare and was thinking about travel writing and was like, okay, I should probably like come up with a website or whatever. Like I was like, well, I'm not travel dad. I'm kind of travel Bobo. And it just, it was me. So, so I went with it. So. Wow. So no one calls you dad. That is, so, no. <laughs> that's awesome. That's amazing. Okay, so let's take it back to the very beginning, that first trip with your family. Did you have any fears when you first started? Were you nervous or were you just like, I got this? Pretty much I got this, but you don't know what you're going to find until you go out. You know, you don't know what that first plane fight's going to be like until you're on it and you're on it for 12 more hours and, <laughs> oh, this sucks or we should have done this. We should have this with us. Uh, your first trip when you're like, oh my God, we didn't bring pediatric allergy medicine and we can't find it anywhere here in this small Irish town or whatever. And, and so I don't know that there were fears, but we've gotten so much smarter over the years where we know what to expect. And we probably got our kids iPhones too early um, based on, based on normal parenting guidelines and everything but we wanted them to be able to entertain themselves on planes. Or if we do are stuck at a restaurant for an hour waiting for the check, like after all the food has been cleared, you know, there's no reason the kids need to be tortured in that situation. Maybe, maybe we're in a small Greek town and, and they can run around after dinner. But if that's not the case, then we were fine with, with and I, and I get this question from parents a lot, like, what do you guys do with electronic devices? Like we're going to Namibia and we don't want their, them to be looking at their screens instead of like looking outside. And honestly, we've always been fine with devices as long as there's not food on the table or as long as there's not something cultural going on. If there's a two hour boring drive to get somewhere, heck, I don't care if they're playing music or watching TV or playing a game or whatever. And so, so little things like that we, we've integrated into our lives um, to solve problems that came up on one trip or another. Or maybe we were somewhere and there was a uh, 50-year heat wave and, you know, the, the, this thing that we couldn't have predicted and it's miserable and we don't want to go out of our apartment for three days. Well, okay, then we don't have to and, and the kids can entertain themselves. So so I, a little bit of a tangent, but, but yeah, really no fears. Um, similarly, you discover that, okay, it's a hassle arriving into foreign airports when you're exhausted and then having to find out how to get to your hotel or figure it out or not want to get scammed or whatever. And so nope. <laughs> for the last few years, we, we've paid more to have somebody waiting for us whenever we travel. And maybe that's through a hotel or a private service or whatever. Maybe it's only $10 more, but to have somebody meeting us at baggage claim and, you know, taking us to their car and then taking us straight to the hotel and being able to prepay for that online. So we don't need cash, you know, from an ATM that may or may not exist at the airport 
Um, things like that have made our travels a lot easier. And it's not necessarily fears from the beginning. It's just making sure things go as smoothly as possible so that we're not distracted from enjoying our trips. Actually, that's one piece of advice I like to give to people when they go, especially traveling to specific countries. I always try to have my transportation to and from the airport to the hotel because I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to like haggle like with taxi drivers. Like I just want to arrive, get in a car after a long trip and then go to my hotel. Like if there's one thing that I, I have is that first night at a hotel and then that transportation because then I just, it's stressful, you know? It's totally stressful. And, and, you know, maybe, oh, the way to get into Stockholm is the train. Well, okay, then you take the train in, um, then what? You know, then you're, you might have to walk seven blocks to your hotel, dragging your luggage. Maybe it's raining. Um, you know, maybe you left something on the train because you're exhausted because you just had a 12 hour flight or something. Yeah. It, it's always worth an extra 10, 20, whatever dollars to arrange that. And, and it can save you money. Like, like if you would have gotten scammed or, or gotten lost or whatever. So. Exactly. Exactly. So what is the most valuable thing that you've learned while traveling as a parent or as a family? Most valuable thing that we've learned. Probably the excerpt that I read at the beginning, just, just to always, and it, and, and it goes into my one-on-one -on -one trips too, but yeah. Ask your kids where they want to go. Ask your kids what they want to do. Um, and like I said, expand their, their cultural literacy a little bit here and there, but don't pre-plan too much stuff. Don't, don't over-plan a vacation. Think about it from, from a little kid's perspective and, and, you know, maybe don't go out to any restaurants in Paris. Maybe every night go picnic at the Eiffel Tower because it's great and it's super kid-friendly and it's really cool picnicking at the Eiffel Tower but um, but a lot of people don't think like that because you're like, oh, well, we want to try this fancy restaurant or, or whatever. So, so yeah, I think it all goes back to learning that a trip is better when it is planned by the kids. What is your most interesting story during your travels? Like any dangerous or exciting stories? We have lots of stories, I think. Like one of the ones that sticks with me is years ago for my son's, I think seven-year-old trip, he wanted to do the inside tour at the Lego factory in Billund, Denmark. And they only allow 120 people a year to walk through the Lego factory in, in four different groups. So, so four different times during the year, they allow groups of 30 people to do this Lego inside tour. And you get to meet with Lego designers and go behind the scenes at the theme park, Legoland there. You get to stay at the Lego hotel, um, but it, it's really about seeing the factory and seeing how Legos are created and, and, and the creative process. So it was the coolest thing ever. That, and that wasn't even as a travel writer that I got that. Like I, I was on my computer at three o'clock in the morning, like hitting refresh, 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 and like trying to get a slot when that came up. Um, but the whole thing was only maybe three days and that seemed really short. And so I was like, where else do you want to go in Europe? And he had always wanted to go to Croatia because as a tiny little kid, he thought it sounded like crocodile. 
And if you look at the map of Croatia, it kind of looks like a crocodile's mouth, which I had never even thought about. And he noticed on a map one day. And so he's like, I want to go to Croatia. I'm like, sweet. But Bill and two Croatia flights don't really exist as long. Um, so we flew to Amsterdam and spent the night in Amsterdam. Except that it wasn't that easy. We flew into Amsterdam and needed to take a train into the center of the city. And I had booked a hotel like right by the central station. So that it was like a one minute walk with our luggage when we got there. And so our U.S. credit cards, as any traveler knows, don't work as well overseas because they're not pin based. Um, and so European cards all have are, are all you know chip and pin, and ours are just at this point chip or swipe, but they're not chip and pin. And so in the Amsterdam airport, we spent well the, the train station connected to the Amsterdam airport, we spent like 15 minutes trying to get the credit card machines to work, and they were not. So I finally went up to one of the ticket windows, which I should have done earlier. And, and bought two tickets to the center of town. And the guy was like, just go down to track three, it's the next train. And so I took that to be true and, and didn't do the normal thing of looking at the thing and making sure that we're on the right train or whatever. So we got on the train that he said to because he's the ticket seller. And 20, 30 minutes later, we're like outside of the city. Like there's just fields and like flowers and we're not in Amsterdam. And I know it should have been a shorter journey. And so I asked this girl with a bicycle, of course, on the train, um, she's like, oh no, you know, this one doesn't go to central. Like, okay. So we got off at, at Zondam, Netherlands. And so maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe it's not that far, but it, it was definitely well outside, well away from Amsterdam. And my son was totally crying because he was like, you know, this is horrible. There was nobody there. Like, like we were the only two people getting off at this train station. There was nobody waiting for a train or anything else. And he's totally sad. And I'm like, really, we'll figure this out. And so I remembered that I had a friend uh, from one of my study abroad programs living in Amsterdam. So I texted her, called her or whatever. I was like, okay, we're in Zondam. What do we do? And she's like, she thought about it. And she's like, okay, there's going to be a train coming through in a little bit. Get on it and go a couple step stops to Slaughterdijk. And I'll pick you up there in my blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I didn't hear what she said, but I was like, okay. I was thinking, she asked how much luggage we had with us. And I was like, we just have one big duffel bag. She's like, okay, I'll pick you up. And so I figured she had some little European car with a small trunk or whatever. And so we went to Slaughterdijk and, and got off at the station and we're waiting outside. And she comes up on this bicycle with a huge box on it, like one of the, the Dutch box bikes. And she's like, I'm going to take you all the way to your hotel. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So my son and I both get in with our huge like LL Bean duffel bag or whatever that we're holding on. And I have a picture on my website. And she's like, okay, you're probably more than I've ever had in here before, but let's do it. Like she could barely get started because we weighed too much. And then she didn't want to stop. So we were like going around red lights. I mean, <laughs> It was the coolest trip ever for about 20 minutes through Amsterdam on a Friday night, like passing people out walking or cycling or picnics. And it was just, it was perfect weather and it was so much fun. And my son loved it. And, and it was this amazing lesson, whether I hit him over the head with it or not, that you never know when some horrible tra travel thing or this, in his mind, it was really bad that we were lost. It's going to turn into like one of the coolest things ever. Like, like, cause otherwise we never would have been on a box bike going through Amsterdam on a Friday night. And so, yeah, I think, I think a lot of our travels have little stories like that, but that's one that I really liked because it's, it's been this thing that stuck with us, I think. And, and that my kids have kind of taken to heart that they're really, yes, there can be bad experiences, but they're always going to be good stories later. And maybe it turns into something unexpected. 
sometimes the worst experiences turns into something like you know pretty cool like exactly what you said it just it does especially when you travel because you have to you got to find a solution you know you got to find a way this is my next question for you is your most fulfilling or favorite moment absolutely no as far as uh, yeah favorite or most fulfilling moment um it's probably not good to say given that i kind of earn a living on social media but we've had a couple of trips the last few years where we were totally unplugged in, in um, the Amazon rainforest in Brazil with my daughter for a week, like on this boat on the Rio Negro um, with absolutely no cell coverage at all. And then hiking through Southern Greenland with my son for a week or whatever, like, no, we probably could have gotten online there, but we never, never did. And, and it's so nice unplugging. And so, I mean, we have, yeah, lots of favorite travel moments. But that's what I go back to, that it, it's so nice actually getting back to pure travel and just looking around. And even in Greenland, like we found, we were walking from our sheep farm where we were spending the night, like just taking a hike. We came across this big statue. We're like, I wonder who this is. And you're like, wait, I don't have a cell phone to like look it up. And it's like, that's okay. It's okay not to know who this is. And maybe we remember to look it up later and maybe we don't. But either way, we're not like sitting here in, in South Greenland, like looking at a, at a screen instead of looking at these sheep like around us. So, so I, I think, yeah, the favorite moments have probably come when I've been smart enough or whatever to just put away my phone and, and maybe even put down my camera for a little bit and enjoy travel. And, and I'm trying to do that more and more. Like, like if we go, if we travel this summer, I might not even take a camera, like especially after not traveling for the last year and a half. I may just like go and just whatever, just enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, I mean, obviously if you've seen my own Instagram, it's all like nature stuff. I unplug, like I fully like just go off and I love when I can't see yep. social media or have anybody contact me. It's like the best. Um, yep. because it just, you have nothing but your thoughts and what's surrounding you. So it's just, very special. Very yep. special. Yeah, for February, I totally I got off Instagram and Facebook completely for a month. And it was so nice. Like, <laughs> like I, I think I missed Instagram more than Facebook, because Facebook is just toxic. Um, Instagram, though, for me, it's so much about inspiration. Like, I honestly love seeing what comes through my feed and going, Oh, my God, I've never seen that hotel before. Like, I want to go there and, and saving that post or whatever. And, and so I missed that part of Instagram, but yeah, there wasn't much on Facebook that I missed. Um, so yeah. And with bad news in the world or whatever, yeah, it's nice. Just like, you don't need to be stressing over some of the stuff most of the time. So yeah, turn off. Tell me your most meaningful person that you've met while traveling. Most meaningful. I don't know if there'd be one specific person, but it would probably be, maybe I got into a little bit with my box bike story, but, um, two summers when I was actually working in healthcare, I convinced my boss to let me go to Oslo and study at the university of Oslo. And, and I did it in, um, one summer, um, and then went back the next summer because I liked it so much. And so I went over and joined these kind of college classes and the age range there from like 90 countries, like, like they get together in the, this summer program every year it was anywhere between 18 because there were a lot of college students there who were actually getting course credits for, for that year, um, all the way up to probably 70, 75 who wanted to learn Norwegian or whatever. So it was the 
coolest group of people, like I said, from about 90 countries, I don't know, 200 to 250 students total living in the dorms at the University of Oslo. And, and so even being a 30 year old, like I was back in school and it was like the coolest part because I didn't care about the credits. Like, like I remember during one of my final exams, I did it the whole thing in like 15 minutes and handed it in and people were like <laughs> looking at me like, how the heck did you finish that? I'm like, I don't care what yeah, grade I, I get. Like, I'm here just to learn Norwegian. Like I don't care about proving it on a grade thing. So it's really funny. Um, <laughs> like a lot of the American students there kind of grouped together. And I was like, that's such a waste because you have all these other people from around the world. And so for whatever reason, I think both summers, I met so many people from Eastern Europe, from, from the Baltics, from Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, um, Ukraine, like, like um, all over the world, Japan too. But, but that was the kind of group of people that, that like, I loved just hearing their stories and, and Romania even. And so I started going back and like, they would invite me to birthday parties, like in Lithuanian mushroom forests and, and these things. So I, I, I would like literally come home for five days and then fly to Lithuania just to like see my friends and, and get these experiences where I'm sure you've, you've done this many times, but where you look around and you go, oh my God, like, like how am I lucky enough to be right here right now seeing this, which like hardly anyone in the world is ever going to get to experience. And, and so it, it would be those friends I think are the most meaningful because they brought me into their lives. And, and for a while, I felt like I had seen more of Estonia than most Estonians because I would go there and my friends would drive me everywhere and, and show me all of the highlights and places maybe they had only gotten to once in their lives or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, those were really, and they still are, really meaningful friendships with the coolest people that, that I encountered, mostly in Oslo, but other study abroad programs too, um, that changed my life and, and, and led to these amazing experiences. Do you think, I mean, you already traveled before that, right? Yeah. Um, I had studied abroad in college. And so that was my chance to like, kind of take overnight trains and see a lot of Europe. And then after that, I, yeah, I, I kind of kept going and did a couple other study abroad programs in college, then in grad school. And then I was the one that, yeah, between grad school and, and um, like even when I had a job, like if I had a friend in Kuala Lumpur and I had never been to Kuala Lumpur and she was inviting all of her friends to come see her, I was the one who would totally like go, okay, I'll be there next week because that sounds really cool. And my boss was great with it because like I could do my job from anywhere. I could check in, I could do stuff on the computer, even with dial up AOL in the old days. So, so yeah, I, I was always traveling but then it's just kind of sped up. That's amazing. Wow. So you've had many, many accolades in the world of travel. Can you talk about your favorite one, how you decided you were going to apply, and then the moment that you won? The, the Kane Nass Traveler Photo of the Year was really cool because there were like 21,000 entrants, and, and, and that was yeah. <laughs> special to win. Um, but I think honestly, the one that's changed and, and so, yes, I mean, that changed my life. It made me kind of jump into travel writing and photography and, and become totally inspired by this whole thing. And so that one changed my life. But I would think the one that absolutely changed my career was when Forbes named me the number four most influential traveler in the world. And it came out of nowhere. Like I had only been travel writing for like two, two and a half years 
And they contacted me and they said, okay, this is totally confidential, but you know, we're doing this web series of the most influential people online. And it's going to be a whole bunch of different categories like healthcare and lifestyle and, and travel. And, and we're going to name 10 influencers in each. And we want you to be included in the travel one. So send us, you know, your bio and a picture or whatever. And it's probably going to come out like June 17th or whatever the date was. And so I was like watching this series unfolding as Forbes was announcing different categories leading up to this. I'm like, holy crap, are they really going to include me? Like, like I don't really, like, like I could think about like dozens of travel writers who had been travel writing for decades who were like, in my mind, more influential. But I was like, this is going to be amazing if it happens. And then that morning, I kind of went and refreshed and, and they briefly had it up under travel. And I clicked and I was listed as like number 10 or whatever on their list. And I guess it was alphabetical. I was like, oh my God, I'm actually on there. That's amazing. And then it disappeared. I was like, okay. And then a couple hours later, it came back, but they had me like number four, like they were actually ranking it. And I was like, not, not to put myself down. I was skeptical still that I deserved it, but I was like, this is incredible. And I think they probably wanted one family spot or whatever. And, and at that point I had, you know, a pretty good following for family travel. And I was an ambassador for a far magazine for universal Orlando, um, for travelocity. And I think everything probably got their attention. And so, yeah, they, they, they said that I was the number four most influential traveler in the world. And because they said it, it was true. Like, like as far as brands were concerned, as far as magazines were concerned, okay, you know, Forbes vetted me and, and Travelocity and Afar and Universal Orlando had vetted me. So I'm probably pretty good to work with. And so my revenue probably tripled or quadrupled the next year. And I got so many cool campaigns, I think, based on that one Forbes list. And they never did another one. So, I mean, I'm still technically their number four travel person until they tell me that I'm not. And it really, and there were, there have been, so many people that I've met, like, oh my gosh, no, I remember your name because you were on the Forbes list or whatever. And so it was this huge deal that, you know, became really clear to me over, you know, in the month CNN interviewed me and all this stuff. And so, yeah, I was thinking that's the best um, thing. I was actually in Whitefish, Montana, I think with my daughter on, on a trip uh, when I was like in this little cabin or whatever and, and checking the internet to see if I'm really going to be included on this Forbes list. So so that, that was fun. And it, it definitely changed my career because it, it put me into this, this higher stratosphere of, of travel writing and, and content creation, influencing, whatever you want to call it. How did you feel? Were you just like, wow? <laughs> I felt great, but I also used it. I think, I think it was something that allowed me to prove to like my dad, especially that, okay, it wasn't stupid to quit a really good healthcare career to jump into travel writing, which generally isn't known for its money-making potential or whatever, that, wow, you know, I had made this huge career leap that a lot of people thought was crazy and that I had done really well. And, and I mean, in healthcare for 18 years, even as CEO of my company at the end, I was never in Forbes or anything like that. <laughs> then I'm in travel writing for a couple of years and all of a sudden Forbes is like focusing on me and like Vanity Fair Italy is, is having a piece on me and, and all of this other stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, it made me feel good, but it made me feel a little bit like, okay, I made the right career choice. Like, and I'm so much happier in travel writing than healthcare. So it's all really coming together. That's so funny because yeah, if 
the outside world non-travelers were to look at you and go what are you doing like you have kids you're going to like travel right like that would have like blown a lot of people's minds like that risk and yet because you followed that passion and turned into something even bigger than you even imagined so that is amazing and that's really inspirational because I'm sure people are going to listen to this and go you know what I can do it I can like follow that thing I've wanted to do so and I love inspiring people like that, but I also think it would be scary. Like if I spoke oh. at a universal university, like graduation or something, because I don't know if that's the best advice to give everyone because it's oh. probably not going to work out for everyone. And I don't want to steer people wrong, but absolutely. Like, like for me, it worked very well to, to go, I'm not happy, happy in healthcare. Even if, yeah, this looks like a perfect job. Like this isn't my passion and it never was. My passion is family and it's photography and it's travel and, and I'm a pretty good writer. And what if I could combine all of this? And yeah, it worked for me. And, and if that's inspirational for people, people, that's great. But I also don't want to, I'm, I'm never willing to have a, a course, like a blogging course or anything right. else, because like I've had a very unique path and I, I don't want to ever imply that if I told somebody 12 things that worked for me, that that's going to work for them. Well, I like, but definitely I think people should listen to their passions and, 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 you know, um, there's a really good series right now. Um, it just started on YouTube. It's by GoDaddy um, uh, called Go Forth. And it follows these three entrepreneurs, really kind of adventurers, but all going through like following their passions and, and starting their companies and, and getting funding or getting sponsors or whatever. And, and it's, it totally is speaking to me because it's really, yeah. I mean, and in one of them, it doesn't work out great. Like she's in tears kind of by the final episode, which I guess that's a, uh, it hasn't come out yet. So, but I get, by the time this interview comes out, maybe that timing all works out. But, um, but yeah, like, like it, it, it was really interesting to see because yeah, my path worked out really well for me, but not everyone's does. Um, but yeah, follow your passions. Cause, cause if you can, if you can afford to take that risk for a little while, uh, you never know where it's going to go. I always say, no matter what, do what makes you happy, you know, um, whatever that is. That's always my thing. Cause man, you could have a lot of money and have a great job, but if you're just miserable, yeah. want that, I'd rather be poor and like doing something that I love, whatever that is, you know, Absolutely. So, tips and tricks you have for others out there who want to do what you do. How do you prepare yourself for like the journey, you know? as a travel writer or as a travel writer with kids, whatever, however way you want to spin that. So, I mean, travel writing is so broad and I always thought the sexiest part of travel writing was seeing my name in a magazine, like in a print magazine. And that's really hard to do because the, the quality of writing is, is amazing, like in a far or, or travel and leisure or whatever, but also there are fewer, sadly, you know, print magazines all the time. And so, the entire industry is kind of morphing towards online. I, I think um, print content is still sexy as hell, but, but yeah, for, for influencing, for, for doing everything online, so much of it, you can just be a pure travel writer and, and do it for the, the passion and, and the desire just to, to, to use your words to, to inspire people. Um, but I found that the marketing side is where the really good money is where I can still write about travel but it, honestly, it comes down to marketing. And, and I never knew that I was good at marketing until I started doing this. But if I'm doing a campaign for a hotel, like I can honestly 
make it look really good. I'm not going to recommend anything that we don't love, but that I'm really good at saying, okay, this is why we loved this place and, and why you probably will too. Um, and so the whole, yeah, the whole travel writing thing is kind of this wide spectrum, but as far as doing it exactly what I do, I think you have to figure out what it goes beyond what you were just talking about with your passion. It, it goes to what makes you unique. And it's a super scary question for people because a lot of people don't think of themselves as unique, but you need to stand out somehow. Like, because there's, there's a, a lot of people who are really good photographers um, and, and are going to put really nice pictures on Instagram, but they're not going to be able to attract brands unless there's something unique brands or followers. Um, cause nobody really wants to follow unless somebody is speaking to what you love. And so whatever your passion is, if it's goat yoga, if it's, if it's collecting turtle figurines everywhere you go in the world, it's like, who are you really? And what do you love? Do you love delving into the food? Um, whatever, but, but I really try to get people to think through that because it is, it, it's a really cool industry to look at from the outside and go, oh my gosh, you know, these people are getting paid to travel. And, and yes, there's a lot of work if you're on a, a trip with other travel writers, if it's a paid trip, if it's a free trip, whatever, like, like it's not a vacation. You're, you're, you're working really hard to promote the destination and, and the hotel or the activity or whatever, but, but yeah, you're going to get noticed if, if there's something unique about you and maybe you're amazing at Photoshop. And, uh, you know, there, there are a few people that I follow that just have these uh, great Instagram feeds and I'm fine with that. Um, because they stand out. Like, like I can tell when it's their picture, when I'm going through my Instagram feed and, and however 900 plus people that I follow. And so you can be unique in this world. You can have your own style. You can have your own way of looking at travel or the world, or maybe your thing is everything you, and, and this literally just popped into my head, but maybe you get into a taxi every time you get into an airport and you ask the taxi driver for one activity and you go and do it no matter what it is. You know, something like that would make you stand out. And honestly, I don't know that anyone's doing that, but it would be super easy to incorporate, but make you unique. And somebody would be like, oh my gosh, what is the next taxi driver? You know, I know that they're going to fly to, Turkmenistan tomorrow, what is that taxi driver going to tell them to do that they're going to have to do or whatever, you know? So honestly, if I was solo traveler, I'd probably do that. But, um, but yeah, like be unique. Think about what your passion is. What, 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 what do people ask you about? What do people associate you with? And, and go with that, make that your style and, and you will stand out and you will be able to, at least on the marketing side of travel writing, you know, probably get those partnerships. I love that. I love all of that. <laughs> Incredible. All right. Favorite place you've explored? We, see, this is easy because I just had my family rank every country and every city we've been to. <laughs> so That's great. I would say, I mean, as an individual, I love Italy. My heart is in Italy. I could go back to Italy all the time. But as a family, Greece um, scored well above Italy even. I think Italy was number two. But um, we love the Greek islands in the summer. We absolutely love going back over and over. Um, we love Noxos. Um, we chose Noxos years ago simply because it looked like it was big enough to have a whole bunch of things to do in restaurants and stuff. But and and we could find a hotel like near the main city that looked really cool and it was on a beach. So like everything kind of came together. But also because they don't have cruise ships. 
So if you've been to the Greek islands in the summer, maybe you've been on a cruise ship or, or just in there, you know that, that the towns, that the islands are overrun during the days with cruise ship visitors. And I think Santorini a couple of years ago limited them to like 8,000 a day, but still that's a huge number of people to be walking through these tiny passageways in ES Santorini, you know, all trying to see the same sunset or whatever. And so we chose Noxos because it was near Santorini and Mykonos, both of which have really good airports and good flight connections elsewhere. And you could just take a quick ferry. It's an hour, hour and a half or whatever. But um, it became our favorite island because like we would get to know people and we'd go back to the same like, like Lucamades, our, our little Greek um, fried honey donuts, for lack of a better term, like these super sticky, amazing desserts that you just see served on the streets, like when you're walking around after dinner. And so we'd go back to this one every night. And so we totally got to know the family and everything. And then we came back the next summer and they invited us into their restaurant. And, oh. <laughs> and, and so little things like that, like we, we love Noxos. And, it, and it, it's because we, we made ourselves not tourists. But the first time we went, we went for 17 days, which most people don't go to one island for 17 days. We did a day, uh, like a two day trip to Santorini or whatever during that. But um, yeah, we grew to love it. And, and our kids, like we felt so comfortable, even with little kids, like letting them just go off and explore or we'd give them five euros and they could go buy cat food at the little marketplace or whatever, and then run around trying to find, you know, stray cats that are everywhere and give them cat food. And, and they wanted to do that. And we were comfortable with them finding the hotel, you know, and, and not worrying because it's an island. You can't get very lost. And we knew that they knew how to cross the streets or whatever. And so, yeah, so we, we love Greece in the summer. We love the islands. Athens is always okay for a layover for a day or whatever, but, um, but yeah, the, the islands are, um, yeah, what we're passionate about. And, and it's just, it's the atmosphere. It's just, it's perfect. Where are you going to go to next? Greece. Go to Greece next? <laughs> um, so we have, yeah, probably. <laughs> we have a trip. Um, it was supposed to be last June to Santorini and Naxos and Paros. And then we moved it to August because we were like, oh, I'm sure this COVID stuff's going to be over with by August. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that didn't really work. And so then last August, we moved all of our hotel deposits forward to this June. We added on a cruise. Um, there's this really cool company called Running on Waves that, that runs these huge sailing ships, like like 40 person, tall mast sailing ships. And so they had this one leaving May 29th and we're booked on it from Corfu, Greece to Dubrovnik via Italy and Montenegro and Albania. Um, Montenegro and Albania would be two new countries for me. And it would just be like, like we're not a real, we don't love huge cruise ships, but yeah. this would be such a cool way to see the coast and, and some of these little towns where we could, we could anchor. And so we booked that. And then a couple days in Dubrovnik because we've never been to Dubrovnik. And then flying from there to Santorini and then being in Greece for like 10 days and then finishing at Schloss Elmau, this hotel that looks amazing, that's, that's kind of between Munich and Innsbruck um, and flying back. And so we have all of this scheduled except for the international flights right now. And Greece announced that they're reopening May 14th um, to anyone, even, even Americans who did really poorly in the pandemic last year, but have kind of picked it up with the vaccines, but these other countries haven't. So, so I'm thinking that if we're on a ship, and I haven't talked to the, the ship company at all, but I'm thinking, is it really realistic to be stopping in Albania for a day if they need a PCR test within 72 hours too, and you've been over there, and then the next stop needs one within 72 hours? Like, like how does this work? And I'm like, well, you know, my wife and I are vaccinated already, and, and with the kids, we could get the PR, PCR test and just go to Greece. 
because the Greek reservations filled up. Like as soon as Greece announced that, like all of a sudden, and, and we have reservations, we have reservations on three islands wow. in June. And so I, I'm, I'll make the decision next month, but maybe we just fly to, to Santorini and just do our Greek itinerary or maybe add on one more island or something and come back. So it's only one country. It's, we're not hassling with different, with crossing borders, with, with more COVID tests or anything else. And so that is the plan if it works and it may not work, but we want to be back in Greece and we'll take Italy. We would take Portugal, whatever, but we love Greece and that's where we have reservations and that's where they're going to be letting Americans in. So it's all kind of coming together. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to go somewhere. I want to go somewhere. I'm like, uh, I got my back. I got my first shot of uh Pfizer. <laughs> yes, we have our first shots of Moderna and we'll be fully vaccinated April 14th. So yeah. I'm getting my um my on April 8th, my second dose. But I can't wait because I'm like so over it. Like I'm just like, please, I just don't want to be like worried about anything when I travel, you know, like and the shots are so amazing. I mean, not to get off on a tangent, but like doesn't didn't things seem brighter? Like when you walked out of there with a shot in your arm and you're like, oh my God, like like it's like you can almost see normalcy. Like you could you could sense that life was gonna come back. It's so weird because I just immediately was like, oh my god, I'm so much closer to like hugging people. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was this woman who was in line with me and we we talked for like an hour or whatever. And coming out because we were on the same timeline, we like totally high-fived. We we're like, we haven't been able to high-five strangers in like a year. This is amazing. So yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I can't wait till all like vaccines are available outside of the country too, because yep. it's going to be such a different traveling experience, you know, because people are probably worried and we're traveling in their country. So it's like, ah, like I want to like get to know people, but I'm sure they're like freaked out and, you know, like I should wear a shirt that says I'm vaccinated, <laughs> like, yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah. And uh, yeah, we would only go if we were so, and, and even though we have vaccinations in, in Greece requires either vaccinations or negative tests or, or positive antibodies tests. I would think my wife and I'll probably get PCR tests too, because yeah, I don't want to be secretly yeah. bringing the virus into to one of the islands and feeling cocky. And then the waiter gets it from me because, Oh, I'm vaccinated. So I didn't even notice that I had the disease or whatever. I so I think I would rather err on the side of being a really cool traveler and a really safe traveler. And yeah. And yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, for those unvaccinated different. populations. I know. I just can't wait till like they have access to vaccines because then it's like, you know, because right now we're like, you know, we have to like travel with caution like that because you just don't know. You don't yeah. know if it's like, you don't know that there's not enough information. Is it transferable, et cetera, et cetera. No idea. Like, what is the one interesting item that you take with you when you travel, not a passport? <laughs> we always take blue painter's tape. What? <laughs> like the, like the, the 3M, like blue, like inch wide tape or whatever. We take a, a roll with us everywhere. And we discovered that even with little kids, that, that having tape, it would let us tape up toiletries like shampoos or, or sunscreens or whatever. The kids would use it for crafts. We could fix things. So like sometimes we would have a, an Airbnb or something and like if something is slightly leaking or whatever, and we could tape it up, even if it's not going to last a long time. It's like, and and taping up packages if we needed to do something like that or we're shipping something like it's not amazing shipping tape but it was tape and 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 it's with us all the time and we find that we use it all the time and i'm probably even forgetting some of the things we do with it i mean we'll mark things with it um if, if we have 
glasses in, in a rental or whatever, and we don't want to keep washing them. So we want to make sure that we know whose glasses whose. We'll put a little piece of blue tape on it and use a Sharpie to write our names or something like that. So we use literally, and, and nobody else does this. I mean, like I have one on my computer right now, like covering up the camera, like if I'm not talking with somebody. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we use blue painters tape for everything when we travel. And I always tell people about it and nobody else, I don't think in the world ever travels with blue painters tape, but it works. Is there a piece of life advice that you can give to a younger you and a younger Eric? Geez, especially in this COVID world, it would be, yeah, just travel everywhere and see everything when you can. And I, I always kind of lived by that, but I, I figured it would be like, you know, either a terrorist attack or, or an Icelandic volcano that shut down travel for a year or something like that. Like I never thought that it would be a, a pandemic, but, but geez, you know, and, and maybe there's, I mean, there's some scary stuff out there as far as, you know, warnings about future pandemics and how easily something else could happen. And so I think if, if there is a window, um, and so this is advice for a younger me or for anyone, like, like just take advantage of that time and, and, and follow your passions and, and go and do everything, you know, when you can, because it, it will not be that easy forever. Where can we find you? I'm Travel Bobo, B-A-B-B-O, everywhere. Um, whether it is Clubhouse or Facebook or Twitter, um, Pinterest, Instagram, everywhere. On Instagram, I'm also at Family Travel. I, I have that account that I don't do a lot with, but, um, but I'm always happy to, to repost other family travelers there. Love it. Do you have anything else to say as we're about to close, Eric? No, this has been so much fun. I, I guess if there was one more piece of advice, it would be study abroad. That, that if you are going to college, um, even high school, but mainly college, if you have the opportunity to study abroad, do it. Because what I was just saying, like it won't be as easy, you know, always to travel. Well, it's never ever gonna be as easy to live in a foreign country for a year as it will be when you are in college. And, and as we talked about, there's so much stuff that comes out of travel. Um, from, from every different element, from culture and, and empathy and everything else, that, that a lot of people have that opportunity in college and not everyone takes advantage of it. And so I, I would tell people to travel or study abroad. Thank you so much for joining me on the Roaming the Earth podcast, stories and adventures of people who are jet setters, nomads, and explorers. This is Drea Castro signing off. Join us again next time. Stay wild. If you're interested in hearing more stories from around the globe, don't forget to subscribe, share it to your friends, and follow me on Instagram on I'm Roaming the Earth.